You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So we do have a little bit of news and notes going on around the NFL. Got to work out the kinks this morning. We'll get there. Stumbling over words and whatnot. And then I want to turn my attention to tight ends because, believe it or not, I found the time to rank my top tight ends. And actually, I only had 22 on my big board, and so I just basically ranked all of them. There were two that I couldn't really find any tape or sufficient tape on, so those two were omitted temporarily. But So I guess, I, what, a top 20 list then? 21? I don't know. I know 22 minus 2 is 20. I'm just, I don't know if it was exactly 22. Whatever. So news and notes, a question about tight ends. So I did a little bit of our little research assignment, and then we'll run quickly through my tight ends. That will be on the agenda today. Otherwise, make sure you are in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. Make sure you like the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. Also remember, the sheet is up right now if you'd like to participate in predicting some free agent stuff. So guys you think are going to be good, guys you think you will not be good, guys you think the Packers should sign, shouldn't sign, will sign, won't sign. We've only got seven right now. Now, I understand maybe you're busy, maybe it doesn't sound super interesting, but I know there's a lot more than seven people like to run their mouth about being positive. And maybe I'm going to the wrong place. Because the Packernet people aren't those people. Maybe I should take this to Twitter where everyone's got a big mouth and thinks they know everything. But they're also the kinds of people that would just sabotage this whole thing and delete everybody's hard work. So I don't want to mess with Twitter. It's a barren wasteland over there. But if you want to get involved in that, uh, again, the link is in the Facebook group. And I'm still planning on getting the draft one up. I just, I'll be honest, I just forgot to do it yesterday. I was busy, but I had time and I forgot. Anyways, oh, Patreon. We are at 81 patrons. We can get 19 more. We'll meet our goal of 100, and then we'll get that super special giveaway where I will design a T-shirt for you and get that sent out. And I'm looking forward to that. So if you wouldn't mind, if you like the work that I do and want to support the podcast, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month. Consider it. Talk with your financial planner. See if you can move some monies around. I understand it's uh, the economy's brutal out there. I know it's tough times to be an American in 2020. I know all about it. I have people that give me money to talk about football. So we're all struggling, all right? We're all struggling. Speaking of hard times, let's take a break. Talk about some vacation destinations. If you're looking for something fun to do this spring, follow your favorite baseball team to Arizona for the Cactus League Spring Training. Great weather, great landscapes, exciting outdoor adventures, and some incredible food. What did I say? Cheese crisps? I'm just going to make one at my house. I just, I got to know. I don't understand. It sounds amazing just crispy cheese like when you're making something in a pan with cheese and it just kind of you know it falls off and then it just kind of crisps up on this that's that's good that's good cheese man that's what i'm envisioning and it sounds good but if you are a baseball fan this is kind of should be on your bucket list i would think 15 teams all converging on phoenix or at least in the greater phoenix area playing in 10 different stadiums in february so you get to escape the cold if you're in the cold go watch baseball and enjoy a nice vacation Kind of sounds like win, win, win. Maybe another win in there. I don't know. There's a lot of wins here. But if you want to plan your spring training getaway, go to visitarizona.com slash spring training. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. 
We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So first of all, the Green Bay Packers have hired an offensive quality control assistant by the name of Connor Lewis. Apparently, Connor Lewis is a uh, math nerd, basically. He's got a math degree from Vanderbilt. He worked in the athletic departments with the Oakland Raiders and the New York Giants. So obviously, his job is to sort of do the... It's kind of what I guess I assumed offensive quality control assistants did. If not, then you can make the case that Matt LaFleur is looking for a more analytics-driven approach to things. But I kind of figured there was people on staff that were specifically on staff to look at the analytics of things and not only be able to help in terms of um, research on you know NFL trends, but also research for upcoming opponents. And then during the game also to have him on site to be able to turn to in these sort of situations and say, okay, you know, what do the numbers say? Not that you always have to follow it. Like most coaches say, it's usually a gut thing. You know, when you go for it on fourth down or whatever, depends a lot on momentum and things like that, that numbers can't exactly say. But anyways, that's what his job is going to be. His job is going to be to crunch the numbers. And um, the limits of that are the limits of your imagination. A couple different bits of news for the NFC North. The Minnesota Vikings have decided to hire Dom Capers. Obviously, we all got a good laugh about that. It is a little bit funny. I, I don't really think too much of it either way. I do think Dom Capers is a very good head coach. Or excuse, Well, he was a head coach, not a very good one. I've always said I thought he was a brilliant mind. He just went stagnant. And that's what I've always said about coaches is you kind of put them into tiers. The good ones are really good at one thing. The great ones are really good at adapting and staying ahead of the curve. Right? Like My example of that would be Mike McCarthy compared to Andy Reid. Not that McCarthy never evolved, but the guy was really good at one style of football. And when the NFL evolved away from that, he didn't really have the answer for it. Andy Reid is still at the forefront of stuff. And there's no way that the modern Chiefs offense looks anything like Andy Reid picked up in Green Bay from people that he learned from here. Or when he started becoming a head coach, I'm sure his offenses looked entirely different. And so with Dom Capers, he was sort of on the forefront of that 3-4 defense. He was one of the, the great minds who employed that. And he knew exactly what to do and how to do it. And he was very, very creative. And, you know, the different packages that he did. I mean, he was like a, a mad scientist coming up with stuff. So from that aspect, the Vikings are getting a quality hire. Now, he's not the defensive coordinator. He's just kind of a, he's a consultant. Same thing that Kubiak was for the offense the last year. So you've already, you are, as the head coach, the defensive coordinator. You are the defensive guy. But then you bring in sort of this mad scientist to kind of help you see things in a different way and 
different ways that you can use packages because let's face it the vikings are pretty vanilla they're very good at employing sort of that base four three kind of look you know they they're not exactly base but they're not known for doing kind of you know crazy stuff they're not running nascar or remember dom caper's psycho package where you had one down lineman and that's it so it's it's sort of a contrast and i think it's going to help them kind of see some stuff but as far as the super high end of that depending on what capers has been doing is he that guy that's going to help you see into the future, or is he a guy that's going to kind of pull you into the past? Here's what I did back in uh, 2004 with the Texans or whatever. Beyond that, what about his insights into the Green Bay Packers? Well, he doesn't know LeFleur, right, as far as direct relationship. The only guy that's there that he knows is, what, Devontae and Rodgers? And even that, you know, if, if you go back and look at the practices that the Packers had, it was always the offense just beating up on the defense. There was no question the offense was heads and tails ahead of the defense. And in fact, the knock was Aaron Rodgers just knew how to read Dom Capers like a book because Dom Capers was very predictable. You just knew what he was going to do. If you studied him long enough and hard enough, you got to understand his tendencies and you knew how to beat his tendencies. So in terms of him being able to be the one to come in to beat Aaron Rodgers, which, listen, the Vikings are a good team, that are getting absolutely annihilated by the Green Bay Packers. They're, they're, again, I think Mike Pettin has got a beat on Zimmer like no other, and they've got to do something to shake that up. And I really wouldn't be surprised if, if a big part of this hire is just we need to do something about this rivalry because we can't keep getting kicked around by the Vikings like or by the Packers like this. It's kind of similar to what the Lions are doing to the Packers. The Lions are never as good as they are when they play the Packers. They've just got some kind of a beat on them. They, they've, you know, the defense or whatever it is. Maybe it's just that melding of you've got the the old Jets defensive coordinator going up against the old Patriots defensive coordinator, and the Patriots guys just know how to win in that sort of AFC AFC East mold, which is kind of the defense that the Packers are now employing, the old Rex Ryan type defense. But overall, I think it's just something to chuckle about. Zimmer is the defensive coordinator. He's going to employ his defense the way he wants to employ his defense. And the fact of the matter is, if all the rumors are true, he's probably not going to be there much longer, which I think is ridiculous because I think he's he's made this defense an absolute monster, but it sounds like the ownership is not a big fan of him. The quote was, he has worn out his welcome. So unless he has a deep postseason run, and I mean deep because he was in the playoffs this year, and the idea was if supposedly if he lost to the Saints, he was gone, which is such a ridiculously... <laughs> nonsensical standard to set either you beat one of the best teams in all of football or you're getting fired <laughs> what but anyways i don't know whatever it's funny but it's not that big of a deal however other nfc north news and this is it's kind of speculation but this isn't that kind of this isn't one of those things where somebody does like a mock draft and somebody then comes out with a headline that says so-and-so looking to draft so-and-so. So there was a rumor, and I first saw this in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. Sorry for not remembering your name. But depending on how good of a source this is, there is a guy by the name of Dan Saleo. He is a sports radio host. Don't know a whole lot else about him other than he was a football player. But apparently he's got an inside source somewhere, either with the Bears or the Redskins, that is telling him that the Chicago Bears have reached out to the Washington Redskins about possibly trying to trade up. Now remember, they don't have a first-round pick. So how in the world are they going to get up there? How could they possibly get the number two pick? Let me read the exact quote from Dan Saleo. He says, Working on a source that says the Chicago Bears 
have reached out to the Redskins involving the number two pick, which is the Redskins pick. 50 Deuce name being mentioned, stay tuned. 50 Deuce, for those that don't know, is Khalil Mack. So again, I don't know how good this source is, but there is a rumor that the Chicago Bears are talking about trading away Khalil Mack, hilarious, for the number two pick. Now, my, my first thought is, the number two pick is the Chase Young pick. So if the Bears are trying to trade essentially Khalil Mack for Chase Young, never in a million years will that trade get done. However, a couple of different factors here. Number one, it doesn't have to be for Chase Young. It could be for a quarterback. It could be for a guy like Tua, possibly. Probably not, but I'm, I'm kind of there's no reason to move up otherwise. It's either Chase Young or Tua. If it is Chase Young, apparently it wouldn't just be Khalil Mack. The article that's here says that they would likely have to, so this isn't part of the source, this is now speculation, but likely, in order to move up, they would have to give Khalil Mack their two first, or excuse me, their two second round picks, which is, they don't have a first, but they have two second, and probably two future firsts in 2021 and 2022. I am praying beyond praying that they do this. I Listen, Khalil Mack is a good pass rush. If they get Chase Young, that's going to be horrible. I'm not going to be a big fan. But you got to understand, this team never has draft pick. They finally have two second rounds, which is at least something, and they want to give that away. And then they want to give up first-round picks for two more years. They haven't had a first-round pick since, what, 2017 to exchange Khalil Mack for Chase Young? Khalil Mack had a little bit of a down year, but make no mistake, he is one of the best pass rushers. He, I mean, he, he's, he's in that all-time list. The odds that Chase Young are going to be that much better than Khalil Mack, eh, we don't know that. Nick Bosa is marginally better than Khalil Mack, and that's only because Khalil Mack had a little bit of a down year. If Khalil Mack had a normal standard year, they would be par for each other, one for one. You take in the fact that Chase Young could potentially not be as good as everyone's making him out to be, there's always that possibility. But beyond that, even if it doesn't get done, and I don't, I don't think, I don't know, but maybe Washington would do it. I, I, I would do it. Two first, two seconds, and Khalil Mack for my for Chase Young. I mean, I want Chase bad, but I mean, we didn't have him before. Now we're gonna have three second round picks, and we're gonna have two first round picks for the next two years, and we're gonna be garbage next year. So we're gonna have the Bears' first round pick, which is probably gonna be trash. But I mean, good, but you know, a trash. They're gonna have a trash year and a good pick with our pick. I mean, what? Jeez, two top ten picks. And there's no reason in 2022 that's going to turn around because this guy has no idea how to manage a roster or manage a salary cap or any of that. But even if even if it doesn't get done, the fact of the matter is, if this is true, they're talking about moving Khalil Mack. Now, the, the reason this is hard to believe is because they essentially would be committing cap suicide. And I just don't really think that they can afford it. Starting next year, maybe. This year, I just don't really think it's feasible. So, I listen, I, I don't know... I don't know who the guy's source is. Maybe this is the Bears doing their due diligence and just poking around and being like, I wonder what we can get for Khalil Mack, knowing full well they have no interest in doing it. But I'm leaning toward calling shenanigans, if you will. But it's interesting. And I'll tell you what, this free agency and draft cycle is going to be amazing. Because we know about the available free agents, and it's kind of like, eh, whatever. But let's not forget, we've got like six veteran quarterbacks that are on the market right now maybe some of them are re-signed but I mean you, you got guys like Tom Brady and Philip Rivers even guys like Mariota and uh Jameis Winston these guys need homes somewhere stuff is about to get messed up man 
This, this league is going to get wrecked. I cannot wait. And the cool thing is, amidst all the chaos, while people are throwing bajillions of dollars trying to acquire the Khalil Max, trying to get the Tom Brady's and everything else, there's rumors that the Cowboys are going to you know, tag and trade Dak and go out and get Tom Brady. While the world is just burning around the Packers, they can just go out and grab a little Bashad Perriman. Right, same thing they did last year. Everyone's freaking out about these big-name guys. And, oh, man, Jadavian Clowney. Oh, we got to get all these guys. They just go out and sneak under the sneak under the chaos and grab Amos. Absolute pandemonium, the amount of pass rushers that were available. Some of the best pass rushers in football, not just Clowney, but Houston and D. Ford. You got Earl Thomas. I mean, big names. And they bide their time and let people spend way too much money. Go get Zadarius and Preston. And then everybody stands around and snickers. <laughs> the Packers. Who is Zadarius anyways? 17 million? Dude, we got Trey Flowers. I don't know if you heard of him. Best pass rusher in the world. D Ford? Yeah, yeah. Hello? Zadarius Smith. Packers think they're doing stuff. And so the more chaos, the better. Because, again, right now, you look at Prashad Perriman and it's like, dude, he's like, I mean, he's. Maybe the best option, depending on who gets re-signed by their own teams. A.J. Green's going back to Cincinnati. Amari's going back to Dallas. And it's, you know, the spotlight's going to be on him pretty soon, and it's going to be a feeding frenzy. That's why you need the chaos. That's why you need teams throwing away everything to go out and get A.J. Green, right? Like, just don't sign that that tag with him, man. We're going to pay you everything. Not saying it's going to happen, but that's the kind of pandemonium and chaos that the Packers need because they don't they don't partake in that. And that's 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 one of the interesting things about it. Because it's not that different than Ted Thompson. They they don't participate generally in the first day of free agency doing super crazy stuff. But while everyone's falling all over themselves to do crazy stuff, that leaves a lot of the remnants, which are actually really good options, with everybody kind of punching themselves out. And that's when they signed like three guys in one day. It's like the Packers haven't done anything. What's going on? And then it was the Packers signed Zadarius. It was like an hour later the Packers signed Preston. Like, wait, what? So, pray for pandemonium. Plus just the entertainment value. I, I, I can't wait for that. Hearing about big names on other teams and what does that mean and what is it going to do and uh, 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 all that stuff. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just very excited. All right, so let's begin our conversation about tight ends. Again, I'm too dumb to remember to take down the person's name that asked the question, but I did get a question about tight ends, and I don't have time to look it up. So here was the question. He wanted to know, what is the average year for a first-year tight end? Some are saying that we need a tight end early in the draft. I say BS. Tight ends usually take some time to develop, and Sternberger was hurt most of the year. So I looked into it. Now, I didn't do average year for a tight end. I changed that a little bit to what is the average first year of a very good tight end, because that's what we're talking about. Nobody cares about Jay Sternberger unless he's going to be a good tight end, and the argument is he won't be a good tight end because he wasn't this year, right? So it makes sense. So here's what I did. Um, And I... It's not as pleasing as a lot of people would probably hope. A lot of very good tight ends were very good tight ends right out of the gate. But there are a few that were worse grade-wise than Jace. But I also think it's, it's important to remember exactly what part of this question was, or at least the statement within the question. Not only was Jace hurt a big portion of the year, the guy played basically one year of college. He played two years, or didn't play, he was, he was at a college for two years, played like four snaps, transfers to Texas A&M, plays one year there, and then gets drafted by the Packers. 
He's got a lot to learn, and he didn't even have time to do it during the NFL season. So you would almost call that first year just a complete mulligan. But here are the tight ends that I grabbed. Jordan Reed, Rob Gronkowski, Antonio Gates, Travis Kelsey, Hunter Henry, Zach Ertz, Jimmy Graham, Dallas Goddard, Greg Olson, Mark Andrews, Martellus Bennett, Vernon Davis, Tyler Eifert, George Kittle, Delaney's Walker, O.J. Howard, Darren Waller, uh, Gerald Everett, and Tyler Higby. I know Higby seems a little iffy, but maybe you didn't notice he had a fantastic year. I think he was the second or third highest graded tight end this entire year. So I added him to the list. Gerald Everett. He's kind of just, I don't know, he probably shouldn't even be on this list. But it's going to help make the case for Jace, so we're going to leave him. And I'll admit, I had heard this, and I believed it without having looked into it, the idea that generally it takes two to three years for a tight end to develop. And that might be true, but again, I'm looking at top-tier tight ends and asking the question, how good are they right out of the gate? Well, Jace had a grade of 52.8. I can't use any filters because he hardly played any snaps. He literally only had one target. So if I even filter this to two targets, he's not on this list. But based on his one target and and very limited play, he ranked 92nd out of 120 tight ends. He was very near the bottom. So again, if we want to include that, let's look who was worse than that. Well, there's only two, Gerald Everett and Tyler Higbee. Darren Waller, however, was a 52.9, which is almost the exact same grade. Darren Waller got massively paid by the Oakland Raiders. Extremely talented, kind of all the rage right now. His path, 52.9. The next year, 52.8. So he had two years of playing terribly. Then he jumped up to a 70.4, became a good tight end. And then in year four, 83.1. So that kind of follows that track, right? The first two years, you're no good. Third year, you start to develop. Fourth year, you break out. I think that's the expected path most people think tight ends take. Gerald Everett was 52.2 and then jumped up to 76 and now is at 76 again. So that's kind of where he's at. Again, he probably shouldn't be on this list. I don't know why he is, but he is. Must have been a down tight end year when I look. And then Tyler Higby, 45.3 in his rookie year. Absolute trash. Jumped up to a 62, which is average. Then a 70, which is good. This year, an 86. Now, from there, you can look at and say, well, how many of them weren't necessarily very good? So beyond that, you've got a bunch of guys in the 60s, which is basically average. O.J. Howard was average. Delaney Walker. George Kittle, which is the biggest If you want to get excited about somebody, it's George Kittle's path. George Kittle's rookie year, he had a 65.8 grade. Tyler Eifert was a 66.5. Vernon Davis, 67.9. Martellus Bennett, 69.3. Of those guys, uh, Delaney Walker actually went back. Delaney is shocking. I don't know if you knew this. Delaney Walker was basically mediocre. I don't want to say garbage because that's not fair, but it sounds more pungent. But he was not good for 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, basically 8 years. The guy played tight end for eight years and was just a non-factor. It wasn't until year 10 that he broke out. That's unbelievable to me. I literally had no idea. But of those six average tight ends, three of them remained average. One of them, Delaney Walker, went backwards and got a 55.6. However, the other three completely broke out. O.J. Howard went from a 61 to an 89, so basically elite. George Kittle went from a 65 to an 89. Tyler Eifert went from a 66 to a 90. So half of these guys completely broke out in year two. Vernon Davis eventually broke out in year four. Martellus Bennett, I guess, kind of broke out in year three, if you want to call 78 breaking out. Otherwise, year four. So year four is a pretty good year for some guys. Now, overall, well, let's just keep going, I guess. Guys that were in the 70s, good, not great. Mark Andrews, uh, Greg Olson, Dallas Goddard, and Jimmy Graham. Of that group, the only guy that didn't super break out was Greg Olson. Greg Olson was another one that took him quite a while. 
It was in year six before Greg Olson became anything. And obviously he had a very good career. The problem with a lot of these guys is nobody waits this long. You're going to go on multiple teams before you actually break out because nobody's going to hold on to a tight end for six, seven, eight years. But Greg Olson, and he, and he was good. 74.4 is good. 70 is good. He's a decent tight end, but he was decent for a long time before he became great. But uh, Jimmy Graham, Dallas Goddard, and Mark Andrews all kind of broke out. Dallas Goddard went up to an 82.7. Mark Andrews, 88.5. Jimmy Graham in his second year went to a 90.1. But then you've got the superstars. Now, nobody was at a 90 in year one, but the guys that were very good as rookies, Zach Ertz was an 80. Hunter Henry was an 83. Travis Kelsey was an 84.6. Antonio Gates was an 84.7. Rob Gronkowski, an 86.2. And Jordan Reed was an 89 in his rookie year. On average, and I'm taking... These guys that I found, and I just went back several years and grabbed the top tight ends, on average, had a grade of 71, which is good. So on average, good tight ends in their rookie year are pretty good. So is it impossible that Jay Sternberger becomes a very, very good tight end? No, of course not. The The bottom line of this information is, I guess, twofold. Number one, the idea that, at, at the very least, good tight ends take several years to develop is really just not true. About half of these guys were good in their first year. And by the second year, very few were not very good tight ends. But secondly, it also kind of tells us that we don't really know anything. You've got guys that were in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s that went on to become some of the greatest of all time. It just takes time. And that's true of every position. I, I'm, I, I guess I'm saying there's nothing uniquely crazy about the tight end to where most of them are garbage. And then over by year two and three, they become really good. That's not really true. I think this is just true like every position. It's one year. The guy was a rookie. Having played one year in college, he's a rookie in the pros, got to play about half the year because of injury, hardly ever started because he didn't know what he was doing. I mean, we never got to see him because he hardly ever played because he didn't know what he was doing. It's very similar to Rashawn Gary. Not going to say he didn't know what he was doing necessarily, but he just didn't have a lot of time to play. And so trying to critique his five times on the field is a little silly. And again, I saw the dude flying open. He's, he's got the ability to run routes and beat guys. And that's all you really need. He's just got to develop a little bit. And we'll see what he is, but I, I think we just learned nothing about him in year one. I think we learned zero things. He could be a complete bust garbage tight end. He could be an elite tight end. I, I don't think there's anything we can glean from year one to figure out what Jace is going to be. Anyways, let's take one more quick break. And uh, I got to very quickly go through my tight end list. I got about 10 minutes to get through this. So here's the thing with my tight end list. My tiers were all kind of messed up. I started putting people in the potential tier that probably should have been in the same old, or I called it in this case, serviceable tier. So basically there's the the my guys tier. Isn't really the my guys tier. These are all potential. Because there's really nobody that I'm looking at that I'm like, dude, this guy's a freak. There just isn't. And so I just very quickly want to run. Here is in order the two guys that I don't have at least enough tape on. Mitchell Wilcox out of South Florida. Noah Tegui from Oregon State, but um, I do have 20 tight ends. At number 20, I have Kyle Markway out of South Carolina, 6'4", 243. Basically, the, the guy is just a blocker, and I think he's pretty bad at it. I think you're going to see some highlight reels of him possibly just leveling people, but the fact of the matter is he, at times he runs like a freight train and just plows into people, but if his job is to stand there and block, he just can't do it. Uh, number 19, Charlie Werner out of Georgia, 6'5", 245. And again, the order of the guys that are basically 8 through 20 is somewhat iffy, but this is my preliminary list. Um, I think he's a try-hard guy, but I don't think he has a whole lot to offer. At number 18, Giovanni Ricci out of Western Michigan, 6'3", 240. 
more of a receiving tight end. I think he's good enough. There's several guys that kind of remind me of Jimmy Graham. They don't offer a ton, but they're good enough where they can kind of stick their foot in the ground, get that half an inch of separation, put the ball right where it needs to be, and he can convert. And I think Ricci's kind of one of those guys. Uh, Joey Magnifico, best name in the draft, six foot four, 240 pounds out of Memphis. Nearly put him one tier above, but I just don't trust him. And I don't think he's a very good receiver. And although at Memphis, when you watch him block, it's not the worst. If you take that and envision him trying to do that in the pros, I think he just gets annihilated. In other words, I don't think he can be a receiver, and I don't think he can block. Uh, the next tier up, whatever you want to call it, but it's another tier up. At the bottom, Josiah DeGuara, Cincinnati, six foot three, two forty-five. This is my number 16 overall. By the way, he's number 12 on my big board. I forgot to, nothing super crazy on those first three. 22, 19, and 17 is where they were ranked. So this is number 12, so I'm obviously a lot lower on DeGuara than a lot of people. But my comment on him was, I'm not sure what else to say other than meh. It's kind of hard to gauge speed, which is a big thing with tight end. A lot of it kind of depends on, on your speed because... The question is, can you run faster than the linebackers? And I can't tell. I mean, you, you can maybe run faster than the guy in front of you in this game, but I don't know how fast he is. So i got to work on gauging speed. But he does a little bit of everything, just not super great at anything. Uh, my number 15 is the number 16 on my board. And when I say my board, if you don't know, I have an aggregation, which is all the big boards around the, the web, and I aggregate them. So on average, he is seen as the uh, 16th best tight end. He's my number 15. That's Devin Asiasi out of UCLA, six foot three, two hundred and eighty-seven. Now, the thing I love about Asiasi, and this is one of those guys where he looks impressive. He actually looks fast. He's two hundred and eighty-seven pounds. There's nobody even two sixty in this class. He's six three, two eighty-seven. I had to look it up. I cross-referenced about seven sources because I didn't believe it. He doesn't look two eighty-seven, and he seems relatively fast. The, the problem is, for 287, he looks faster than 287, and he blocks less good than you would expect. So I'm envisioning a guy at 287 that there's no way in the pros he's going to run past anybody because nobody does that. At 290 pounds, never. And if you can't block at 287, the only chance you have is to cut a ton of weight. Cut 40 pounds off of your body, and then we'll see what happens. But for right now, I just I don't see a serviceable option for Asiasi. But, I, I mean, I do like him. I just, I, I don't understand it. At number 14, this is the number 10 overall, so I'm a little lower on him. Colby Parkinson out of Stanford. He's six foot seven, two fifty one, which is why a lot of people are going to like him. He is Jimmy Grant, uh, except I think he's 2019 Jimmy Grant. So he's six foot seven, absolute monster. He's got a ton of reach. And, again, I think he's one of those guys that he can do a quick route. It's nothing super impressive. He doesn't actually get a ton of separation. But, again, it's that half an inch plus the six foot seven reach that if you put the ball out there, he'll get it. I don't see him as a, a game-breaker, but I think some people are going to hope that he can develop into a Jimmy Graham type and maybe give him a shot. And again, speed plays a big part in this. If he's six foot seven and can actually run, this, this all changes. And this is true for everybody, so after the combine is going to make a big difference. Actual measurements, actual weights, actual speeds and agilities and all that, and I'll, I'll adjust all this, but I want to at least get my preliminaries out there after having watched them. My number 13 is actually the number 7 overall. This is one of my biggest fallers, or my biggest differences, is Adam Troutman out of Dayton, 6'5", 251. I just really don't get it. Part of the problem that I have with him is that it's really low competition, and there's another guy that's after this that's in a bad school, but he's actually pretty dominant. If you're playing for a, a school like Dayton, you better be just unbelievable. He was good, but he wasn't dominant, and one of the things he kept doing was manhandling blockers. Or, or you know, he'll get into 
press coverage and somebody gets their hand in his chest and instead of shedding the block, he'll grab them and try to hip throw them and then run. And it's like, what is the purpose of that? So it just, it was, it was weird and it was sloppy. And I, I get that he's just bigger and stronger and, you know, he's manhandling people. And I, I just thought it was weird and I wasn't super a fan of it. Obviously he, he looked good on tape because he plays for Dayton, but I don't trust it because of the school. And I just can't really put him super high. And that's that's going to be a flaw for me. If you don't play for a very good school, I'll put you relatively high. But I, I can't put you super high because I have no idea based on the talent level you're going up against. Unless I can find tape of you doing stuff against other schools. And that brings me to Charlie Taumopeo out of Portland State, six foot two, 244. But ultimately, this guy just looks like a, a wide receiver on the field. And he plays for Portland State. So again, the competition level is garbage. But, I mean, if he was playing for Ohio State and looked like that, he would be easily one of my top tight ends. But six foot two, 244, he looks like a giant wide receiver. He's faster than everybody because everybody's slow. He looks fine. I like him. I just don't trust that he can make that leap into the NFL and be as productive. At number 11 is also my consensus number 11, Cheyenne O'Grady out of Arkansas, 6'4", 248. And again, he's just kind of an average dude. Most of these guys are just like, okay, you can kind of block, and okay, you can kind of run routes, and okay, you can kind of catch. Just kind of mediocre all around, so, I mean, he can do it all, so that's good, and and you've got the potential to be able to elevate one of those things and become a good tight end, but just definitely nothing that's wowing me. Um, Number 10, who is the number 14 on the consensus board, so I'm a little higher on him than most is uh, Steven Sullivan out of LSU. I've actually got back-to-back LSU guys. One of the LSU guys is seen as much better. Um, I see him as marginally better. But Steven Sullivan out of LSU, six foot six, 254. And he's another one that's basically just a giant wide receiver. Now, the, the difference for me, though, is if you look like a wide receiver and you're six foot four, 235, you are a wide receiver. If you're 6'6", 254, and you look like a wide receiver, you're a tight end that runs like a wide receiver, and that's really impressive. Especially if you can block, right? Because that's the that's the biggest difference. Otherwise, we'll just split you out. If you can't block, but you're just a wide receiver, we'll just put you out wide. The biggest problem with him is, and this is this is the thing when I'm trying to gauge speed. Some guys they look faster than they are. I didn't see a lot of people struggle to keep up with him. So maybe I'm just wrong about his speed. He looks fast, but I'm watching corners and I'm watching linebackers, and they're they're keeping up with him. So maybe I'm just wrong. But I, I was impressed by watching him, and he does look really fast. And at six foot six, if he can run and and get some clean routes. I think he could be an impressive tight end, but I I don't know. Uh, Above him, Thaddeus Moss. He's my number nine. He's the consensus number nine. LSU tight end, 6'3", 225. The weird thing is, Stephen Sullivan is 6'6", 254. Thaddeus Moss is 6'3", 225. Moss, in my opinion, is the blocker. Sullivan is the receiver. It's very weird, and maybe people don't disagree with that. Again, I'm watching one game per player, occasionally two if I need some further clarification. But Thaddeus Moss is a violent blocker. I mean, he's putting people on their back, and not just like uh, Kyle Markway or whoever it was who just gets ahead of steam and hits people when they're not looking. I'm talking about man-to-man. You come for him, and he's going to take you out and put you flat on your back. Um, But again, as a receiver, he's just another one of those guys that maybe can convert those quick third downs, but I don't see him as a great receiving tight end, but very, very good block. So he's in that same pile of just kind of meh receivers, maybe even subpar. But his blocking ability is what puts him on that next level. Because if he can elevate the receiving aspect, then he can be, I mean, the, he, he's an elite blocker in my opinion. And if his blocking was receiving and his receiving was blocking, he'd be one of the top tight ends. Because receiving is the most important attribute. It's really only because blocking is, is secondary to receiving that he's on this 
second tier as opposed to the top tier. And then my top guy on this second tier is actually the consensus 18. So he's one of the lowest on this list. I just really like him. And I understand he's not elite in any category, but he just looks like a professional. He plays for a big program. He looks like he's very competent. I I, I just like him. It's Sean McKeon out of Michigan, 6'5", 238. Again, nothing he does looks super elite, but he's quick. He's got good hands. He's got good routes. He's a good blocker. He just looks ready to roll. He looks like he can go to the pros and play as a pro. Maybe not a very good one. I don't know. But I don't think he's just going to completely struggle and not know what to do. So I like McKeon. And then finally, we get into the upper tier. And again, I, I called it my guys, but I don't really have any guys. So this is really sort of the, this is actually more my potential tier. The guys that I think have the potential to be legit number one, like this is our guy kind of kind of tier. So at the bottom of that tier, my number seven is the consensus number five, Albert O.K., also known as Albert Okwegbunam out of Missouri, 6'5", 255. He was seen even going back into last year as a potential first-round pick. He has since completely fallen off. Um, I, it's weird because the comments sound somewhat negative. It just depends my expectation. Obviously, I like Albert Okwegbunam better than some of the guys I was talking very highly about. But my, my comment is I'm just not really in love with him. I think he does a good job blocking, and he seems like an adequate receiver. And again, it's going to come down to speed because he does look like he's pretty quick. And if he's got blazing speed, that changes things. And he's he's he looks big and long, and he's a good enough blocker. He's fine. And I could see that element of he could be something big. But there's not like a definitive, like, wow, this guy's going to be great. Granted, usually I'm wrong, or most people are wrong when they say that anyways. But it's, it's just there's nothing super evident that I'm in love with about him or anyone for that matter. Uh, my number six is the consensus number eight, Harrison Bryant out of Florida Athletics, 6'5", 242. So I'm a little bit higher than most, I guess. But my comment is built like a tight end, plays like a wide receiver. I mean, he looks exactly like a wide receiver, and he's 6'5", 242. Maybe, again, it's Florida Atlantic. However, I went and watched him against Ohio State, and the fact of the matter is he was holding up as a blocker against Ohio State, against linebackers and, and corners. And I really, really like The only problem I had is when he finally broke open, and he was open a good amount because he's a really good route runner. When the ball actually came to him, I saw two balls go to him and he dropped both. One was kind of in the dirt, so it was kind of tough. One was, I think, a little out in front of him. But still, it's like, you got to catch these balls. So it's exciting watching him run routes and play. And it's like, dude, this guy's really good. But then he he doesn't catch the pass, which is kind of the important part. Uh, my number five, the consensus number four, is Jared Pinckney out of Vanderbilt. Six foot four, 254 pounds. Uh, bottom line, ridiculously gifted blocker. Again, he would be higher if I believed in him more as a uh, as a receiver, but I just kind of don't. The other thing is, he is one of, I think, two guys that plays primarily H-back. And H-back is kind of like, you know, there's the inline tight end, and then if you're kind of back and offset a little bit is usually where H-back is. It's kind of like a tight end fullback hybrid, which kind of makes me wonder about Jared Pinckney, not only as a tight end, but a possible Danny Vitale replacement, because guys like Shanahan and guys like Lafleur like to employ H-back. Speaking of, the guy I have one spot higher is Jacob Breland, who also plays a ton of H-back. He plays for Oregon, six foot five, two fifty. He is a consensus number six. He is my number four. Um, Breland again feels very pro ready to me. He's kind of like Sean McKeon, but just better. Fundamentally sound in all areas. Really good blocker. And I also like that, you know, he's so he's playing that H-back where he, he's the lead blocker a lot of times, kind of like a fullback, and he does a great job doing it. But he can also slip out. And when he slip out, slips out, I think he does a very good job of getting open. 6'5", 250, he's got a little speed to him. He can be dangerous. So I think he could be sort of that Danny Vitale type of player, except probably a better blocker and possibly a better receiver. 
Um, number three on my list, and I didn't really make any notes, I guess, but I remember, is the consensus number one, and that's Cole Komet. And I had mentioned I'd watched him before, and I didn't really super get it. They were talking about him being a great blocker. I don't think he's a great blocker, but you see him play, and he just reminds you of Rob Gronkowski. He's only 235 pounds, but there's just something about him that just feels like that. He's just He just plays like he's bigger and better than everybody. He's able to get a lot of separation, which is impressive because he looks very slow, but he does a good job if it's just his subtle routes or what to get that. You know, I, I talk about a lot of guys get that half a step. He gets a good amount of separation, and it looks like it shouldn't work because, he, again, he just looks like a slow plotter, but he's he's getting open. And so, I again, I put him in that category of I could definitely see him being a big deal in the pros, but I have a hard time watching him on tape and being like, this guy's a freak because he just he doesn't do anything all that impressive to me. But, again, maybe. My number two is the consensus number two, Hunter Bryant out of Washington, 6'2", 239. The only reason I put him this high and I was skeptical of doing it is because he's a receiver. I mean, he is purely a receiver at 6'2", 239. I mean, obviously he's bigger than most at 240 pounds, but he can't block at all, but he's very, very fast. And I wanted to put him a lot lower, but I, I had to remind myself, all anybody cares about nowadays for tight ends is if you can be a receiver. If you're looking for a guy that can line up uh, out wide and can also come in in line and just beat tight ends like they're nothing. Hunter Bryant is probably that guy. And then my number one is is the consensus. Number three, Bryson Hopkins out of Purdue. Kind of a similar thing with Hunter Bryant. I just think he's a little bit better. Uh, I just And I, I think he's a better receiver altogether. I think he's a better route runner as opposed to just pure speed like Hunter Bryant. Uh, I do like his routes. I like his hands. He's not a good blocker, but also his body control is really impressive. You watch him go up, and a lot of these big guys, it's you don't see him. Body control is not a thing when you're 250 pounds. But this guy can go up and twist his body and get his feet down, and he just seems like a very gifted receiver, and I think that's going to carry a lot of weight uh, in the pros. So I've got it. Bryson Hopkins, Hunter Bryant, Cole Komet, which interestingly enough, I looked at uh, the Draft Network. That's their top three overall, not individually, but their consensus board was the same, so that made me feel like I kind of know what I'm doing. Then Jacob Breland, Jared Pinkney, Harrison Bryant, and Albert Okwegbana. Those are my top seven, and those are the guys in my tier of I could see them being big deals. But they're not, like, freaks, right? I don't have anyone that I'm looking at that I'm like, yes, this guy is 100% my guy. So they're all kind of tier twos, I guess, in my mind. Anyways, I got to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Tuesday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.